everybody. Welcome to The Afterword. I'm Dave Tish. You know, when I was growing up, and even now as I think back on it, the way that people talk about religion, it's often presented as a, quote, spiritual journey. Have you heard this? Like people say things, I'm just trying to find God, or I'm on a journey, or I'm on my own path. And when I think about religion in general or trying to find God, often it's this idea of a long, arduous trek where you like go climbing up a steep mountain. And if you're lucky, you get to the top and there's God. And he has his eyes closed in quiet meditation, stroking his long white beard while peach blossoms floated around him. I don't know why I imagine God like Master Shifu from Kung Fu Panda. Skadoosh. I'm just saying this is what I think about. Even Christians, when they talk about God, they, they make it sound like it's all about a journey. And they'll say things like, there's a great chasm that opened up between you and God, between people and God, and Jesus' death is a bridge that allows us to cross over to God. And Jesus is always presented like a giant salvific rope bridge across like the Grand Canyon. And it's, I mean, God's the one who built the bridge, but we still have to walk across it, you know? that's You're the one who has to make the trek to the other side. And that's kind of the way that God is often presented. And one of the most surprising, and one of my favorite things about the Bible is that narrative that we have to fight really hard to climb a giant mountain to get to God is not the way God's presented. God's the pursuing God. He's the one who leaves heaven to come to us. He's the one who makes the first move. God always makes the first move. God always moves first. He sees us. It reminds me of that moment when God introduces himself to Moses at the burning bush. He kind of lets him know who he is. And he says, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And these are people that God has personally introduced himself to. And then he says, I have seen the misery of my people. I have heard them crying out. I'm concerned. I've come down to rescue them. This is a God who moves. He sees, he hears, and then he moves. And this week in Matthew chapter eight, we see another beautiful example of this, of God moving first. We see Jesus encountering a woman, Peter's mother-in-law, who's very sick. Now, in the previous two miracles, the previous two healings, actually technically one cleansing, one healing, but let's not get too in the weeds. Uh, Jesus encounters two people who basically throw themselves at his feet, begging him for help, and Jesus obliges. And it's pretty exceptional. These are both outsiders. But in this story, it's Peter's mother-in-law, and she says nothing. She's just suffering quietly, and she's there, and Jesus sees her, and then moves to heal her. So he moves first, which is, again, another aspect of God that's both surprising and beautiful. So we're going to study that. I've got two folks here in the studio. I've got Mark Averill and Jay Kim both here in the podcast studio, and we're going to talk about this healing, the final in a batch of three that Matthew includes. We're going to study what it means. We're going to kind of look at what it implies, what um, what this story shows us about God and about life with God. And so with that, Let's just dive right in. You want to talk about lunch? Lunch. What do you want to talk about lunch? How does that Just, relate to the, today's scripture passage? Come on, Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law, and, and she, she goes and makes him lunch. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Well, okay. Well, we'll just get into it. Hey, so this is the third. Oh, first of all, welcome. 
in the yep. studio with me, Mark Averill, J. Kim. Good Hi. To, good to see both Stoked of you. Stoked to be here. Well, yes, it's it's great. Uh, this is the third miracle that we've studied in a row, which yeah. is like, oh my gosh. And they're all so different. They're all so different. Mm-hmm. My first question before we get into this is, uh, what, when you read this one, how did this one strike you as different than the two that we've read before? The centurion, whose faith amazed Jesus, uh, that was authority. And then the one before that was the the leper. Um, how did this story strike you as, as different just um, in its inclusion in, in the narrative? I, I think the first thing for me that stood out was the fact that the other ones come to Jesus. The leper comes to Jesus. Mm. The centurion comes and approaches Jesus. This one Jesus is in the flow of his day, and he sees her, and he comes to her. And I think that's, there's to me, there was some stuff in there to kind of mine and to think about. I love that picture. Yeah, same. I, I think that's the sort of, you know, pivot being made in the story. <clears throat> Jesus, you know, I, I said at South Hills, there's some evidence that Jesus was living here at the time for a bit. And so there's a good chance he's, like, coming home after a long busy day of healing people and stuff and uh and he sees yeah i mean that's what the text tells us he sees she doesn't ask him to in the story she doesn't ask right like the others do he just sees her yeah and and then he's moved to heal her so that's a powerful uh because the other two are not they don't just come to jesus like they throw like the centurion bags and the leper literally throws himself on on the ground yeah so that's a very very big delta this one jesus is like actually he sees her uh that's got to be really encouraging for folks yeah <laughs> you know what i mean yeah i think so i think inherent in that is jesus sees us um in our pain and our weaknesses the vulnerabilities that we have you know we have throughout scripture these beautiful ways where he moves towards us pursues us knocks at the door um and i think it's just just another nod to the fact that um he's aware of our realities i think is the right yeah. 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 I think being seen is like such a beautiful gift that you can give somebody. I, I'm talking from a human standpoint. Mm-hmm. Like, do you, like I remember when I was in seventh grade, I had an English teacher named Mary Sue Gardetto. Wow. Best English teacher <laughs> I've ever had. What a great That's, name. I mean, yeah. she's phen- Every time I eat Gardetto snackins, you know, those little Gardetto, uh, you know, with the rye chips. I have no idea what that is. I don't know what that is. You never had Gardetto snackins? No. no. They're like, uh, what really? Yeah. Uh, what are they? What are they it's sweet? Like, are no, they... it's it's like a savory, almost like a Chex Mix kind of thing. Oh, okay. They have these like rye chips in them. Listener, if you're out there and you don't know what that is, <laughs> confirm this. To go to true. a Seven Eleven immediately. <laughs> anyway, Gardetto snack mix since 1932. Yeah, it's been well, around for be a, almost 90 years. Jay. Oh, I have. Uh, okay, I've had those before. Sure. We were pulling it up on a monitor. Yeah. This isn't. Uh, this is a podcast, so people can't see that. But. Uh, Mary have you S- ever tried must have heard about it flavor I, of Gardettos? I have not. Their names are incredible. I'm a big fan. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. So Mary Sue Gardetto. Speaking of lunch. Yeah, yeah, yeah we are hungry. <laughs> I am hungry. We are hungry. Uh, we're recording this right near lunchtime. I wish Peter's mother-in-law could make us some food. <laughs> Whip it up for us, Do Mom. you think she was Korean? Because <laughs> if so, oh, yeah. that'd be great. That'd be the dream, huh? <clears throat> Mary Sue Gardetto, one time we had to write it. Our assignment was to like take a famous fairy tale and modernize it, right? Mm-hmm. And write it. And I wrote one about, uh, you know, the shoemaker and the elves, you know, the idea of the yeah. shoemaker. 
he doesn't have enough time to do this, right? So the the elves come and help him in the middle of the night. Well, this one was a, a set in a mall, and it was a watch kiosk, a guy who replaces batteries. Yeah. And the title of the story was So Many Watches, So Little Time. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah, I was pretty <laughs> nice clever. Play there. Nice play. And I tried to be super funny in it, and she wrote on my paper, just like just one sentence, she, has, she wrote, you have quite a way with words. And I will never forget that. Yeah. Because that was the first time anybody ever told me I was good at anything. Oh, interesting. And yeah. it was the first time that anybody kind of called out Ooh. in me Ooh. anything that yeah. was like, that was a very first time. Parents not, it's almost like you don't believe your parents sometimes. Sure. You're like, oh, yeah, yeah, you kind of have to say those nice things, you know? Dude, but, it reminds me, uh, just interjecting, um, I remember being a seventh grade basketball player and yeah? sitting the bench the entire season and totally sucking. Then my in between my seventh and eighth grade, I went and went to a basketball camp. Paul Newman played for the Warriors, if you can believe Paul that. Newman, the actor? No, 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 no. He was From the, the Butch... Cassidy and the Sunday. From you the play bas- Mark played basketball with Paul Newman. The guy, the guy who makes salad dressings. I love his. I love his light Caesar. Well, he it's was a delicious. basketball player too. No, it was a different Paul different Newman. Different Paul Newman who played for the Warriors. Oh wow! And uh, he had a basketball camp at uh, church here in town. Was he a guard or? A, he was. He was oh, like oh, yeah. oh, okay. Yeah, and so I went to the camp, and then that next year had a way better basketball season and stuff like that. But I remember my coach, Mr. Duffy from Rogers. Oh yeah, middle Rogers school. Rogers Middle School. He said to me, he "Goes, I think you're going to be a good high school player. I think oh, that nice. next level you can play." And I remember thinking, "Oh, I could elevate to that." He saw something. To your point, yeah, yeah. saw something in me, and it also drew out of me. Well, I gotta, I have to step into that now. I have to. You know, there's something invitational about as well as confirming with it. You know? Yeah. What about you, Jay? Was there a moment when somebody said something to you that kind of called out that you felt really seen? I'm distracted because I'm looking up Paul Newman. Paul Newman. It would the be Warriors, the 70s, actually. like uh, mid-70s, early 70s. He probably played for the 60s. It could be the 60s, yes. He averaged 11 points a game for his career. Pretty solid. That's not great, Jay. Well, back well, in the era, terrible man. Yeah, I mean that's the era of like set shots and stuff oh. like that. Yeah, that's true. It was a different era. It was I, like totally. I knew every warrior, but Paul Newman, cool. Yeah. Uh, for yeah, I mean, I, yeah, it's it's like what you said. My mother was really encouraging, mm. and still is to this day. But you know, it's your parents, <laughs> so you're like, that's your job. You're supposed to be nice to me. Um, yeah, I mean. You know, I can't think of anything. No one's ever said anything nice to me. Come on, now. Come on. <laughs> now, teaching-wise, did everybody see you as a teacher and go? Yeah, what about when um, you were starting hey, we out? See that, no, no. Yeah, uh, yeah I mean, no. Uh, yes, people have been super encouraging and affirming. Long before that, though, I'm trying to think what my first memory of it. Um, I remember in third grade, uh, Mrs. Sanchez, um, she was a wonderful third grade teacher. And I had this weird thing back then. I, for some reason, for like two, three years, I was fascinated with presidents. So I don't know why, but I I memorized, like, first of all, I knew the entire order of U.S. presidents. Can you still say We we have to test that. Can you still say that? No, no, no. It's long gone. It's long gone. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. It's long gone. But I knew all these facts about them, too. And I do, for some reason, I distinctly remember Mrs. Miss Sanchez at one point telling me, like, at a recess or something, um, that I had a wonderful mind, ah. you know. She's like, you got beautiful a wonderful. You sure mind. it wasn't beautiful? beautiful? No, no, no. no. <laughs> you have a beautiful mind. Go there. I know. She, yeah. I mean, she, she just like 
praised my intellect, and I was not a smart yeah. kid. The who, like, way got that you grades. remember that Chester A. Arthur was the <laughs> yeah, 21st like president of the so United random. States of America. <laughs> and I think, she, you know, she's just being nice. It's like oh, not no. a big deal, but I still, I mean, you know, it's it's how many years ago, right? Yeah. We remember these stories. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. So I felt, I felt very seen by her. Yeah. And I, I've shared this before. I was a kid. I went to four elementary schools in five years. So. You moved around a lot. To have that sort of, yeah, you know, affirmation, to feel seen was a really big deal because I basically spent my childhood feeling unseen because yeah, wow. I was constantly moving, ping-ponging yeah. from one place to another. So, yeah. Now, that's interesting. I mean, obviously, but my point in the, all that was that Jesus sees this woman not just for, like, in the background, but, like, really see and sees particularly a need. Yeah. That she's, um, and do we have information in the text about what's going on with her? It just says mother-in-law. Well, which is a, you mean her also, sickness, yeah, her, her fever. Sickness. No, no, I mean, no. some scholars say it was some form of malaria, probably, but it, who knows? It's who all knows? Conjecture. But she's she's, she's sick. sick. She's yeah. for sure, fever. like very sick. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then Jesus heals her, and then well, I, which is interesting, and I do think that that is just kind of a a beautiful picture of the God who sees, you know, and yeah. the, and that goes all the way back. There's lots of references in Scripture about. Yeah, but the the cool thing is most of us in our stories, there's a power in being affirmed, being seen. But with with Jesus, he not only sees, but he's empowered in a way that humans are not to actually bring healing. Right. You know, we would see someone sick and pray for them, pray and come alongside them and empathize and care for them, which is a big deal. But it's really cool because with with Jesus, he he does all those things, but then he can take it a step further, which a lot of these stories, that's, you know, it's not all they're about, but that's a big piece, right? These are healing stories. Right. Well, uh, and Matthew ends this chapter, and you both talked about this. He ends this section of the chapter with a quote from Isaiah, hmm. uh, with the, the idea that Jesus, it's from um, the suffering yeah, servant. The yeah. suffering servant motif. Yep. Yeah. Uh, you guys want to talk a little bit about that, and then why that kind of illuminates some another another aspect of who Jesus is. Yeah, I mean, willing it, it is clearly a nod to the messianic part of his journey, but or his his role, but also just a sense that that the kingdom is here and now. It's it's got a practical, tangible reality to it that. He steps in and heals and, and does brings wholeness and reconciliation now. Um, that's uh, to me that was something I think um, that was that was beautiful about that. Yeah, you know? yeah. There's a, a biblical theologian, Craig Blomberg. Other people say this too, but I like the way he says it. That all the healing stories of Jesus are not just sort of one to one. Jesus makes one person better they're a sign they're a signpost of the inbreaking of god's kingdom it's a way of him saying in the kingdom of god there is no fever there's no leprosy there's no blindness he raises lazarus from the dead in the kingdom of god there's no death you know it's it's that sort of thing so kind of a a macro story that points yeah it's both i mean he is yes it is a one-to-one healing he's making an individual or a group of people better and that's a beautiful thing but it's not just that it's It's also it's a signpost of things to come and we're still waiting for those things to come in full in full you know when christ returns but i think that's really beautiful and, and profound that it's a way of reminding us yeah we live here and now in 
you know, in sort of waiting, hmm. you know, with, with patient hope of the day when Christ returns, but he is going to return someday. And when he does, these sort of signposts will come to fruition in a way where that's just reality. There's no, you know, the revelation passage, revelation 21, John has this vision of the new heavens and the new earth when Christ returns. And what is there? Well, there's no more mourning, no more tears, no more pain, no more death, you know? And, um, that, that I think is a source of hope where we've said it throughout the series, these passages are, are not intended to, they're not mechanical, mm. like, hey, see, this is what Jesus does. So, oh, you you have a cold or you have whatever, cancer or whatever, like, just pray and it's going to go away. There's no guarantee, you know, because we live as finite creatures our 80 years or whatever, 90 years, however long. And our expectation is that God will sort of culminate the kingdom within that 80-year lifespan. And sometimes God does bring healing, but sometimes he doesn't. I think our ultimate hope is ultimate healing is coming someday, you know? And um, Well, I think, too— And this is like a sign of that. Yeah. 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 I think, too, there's also something in the fact that, you know, he enters into um, our suffering— yeah, in a, in a beautiful way, and that's why that passage. I think the Isaiah passage is cool. Is he let me read it? Up, Do you mind yeah, if yeah, I read it? it? I'm just going to read it. Um, it says, uh, "Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering." And this is Isaiah talking about the eventual Messiah. Mm. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions; he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Mm-hmm. And uh, so just kind of in that context, even in that, Isaiah is saying, we look at this guy, this Messiah, this suffering servant, and we think, oh, he's got to be hated by God. Mm. And that's the implication. And he says, no, no, no. But he's taking all of this to heal us. Yeah. And that's that would have been a kind of a mind-bending idea for Jewish people. Is that is that fair to say? Mm. Yeah, for any people, right? I mean, it sounds unjust in some ways. Unexpected. When we read that text, I think there are such shocking words like punished and pierced and you know Stricken. crushed. Yeah. yeah. But I think as we read them, for me, at least in this context, when you emphasize the word our, you know, it's really profound, right? That he, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. Yeah. By his wounds, we are healed. You know, so there's a way in which, I mean, I, I talked about this a little bit at South Hills. There's a way in which he's reversing sort of the way sin entered the world. Oh yeah, he's reversing that trajectory. In, this in is the, really interesting. In the way he takes, I thought so too. Yeah. The way he takes yeah. sin out of the world. So yep. the way you said it was in the story of the garden. Humans see what's not theirs, they take it, and then death enters. Right. So God says, hey, you, everything's yours. Flourish, enjoy, thrive, except this one thing, the yeah. fruit, you know, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's not yours. Hmm. And then the enemy, the devil, shows up, and he's like, did you really say that? You're going to die? Come on. It looks so good. And then humans take it. God had made clear that's not yours. Everything else is yours. Enjoy it. That's not yours. So humans see something that isn't theirs. They take it, and it leads to death. And then you have the suffering servant passage. You have Matthew quoting him as he heals people. And it's, you know, so Matthew frames Jesus' healing in, in the text that says Jesus takes 
our punishment. He takes our, you know, he's crushed on our behalf. So Jesus sees something that isn't his, mm. right? Mm. The punishment that's due us, our sin, he takes it and it leads to life. Mm. It's a it's a reversal, a reversal. Of, of the way sin entered. That's the way he's going to erase sin and eliminate sin. Do you sin think, Matthew, death. that was intentional for him to, to make that link with the Isaiah passage to that one idea? I think so. I mean, he's he's culminating, you know, because from here the the story will shift. It shifts a bit toward yeah. you know healing the demon possessed man, but it's really about like sending the demons to these pigs and then All like right. the storm and. But here he's culminating sort of several stories of very one on one personal healings of mm. sickness and infirmity, and he culminates that. He sort of couches it in this idea mm. that Jesus does this. And he's not just extending healing. He's there's an exchange happening. Uh-huh. He's taking upon himself the sickness and the pain. It's pointing to the cross, right. you know, right. where he cross. eventually will do that. For he takes all, on death, all of it. Yeah, yeah, he takes on our death. Yeah. This is going to sound really silly, but there was a book a number of years ago by a guy who's a former Navy SEAL named Jocko Willen. Oh yeah, right? yeah. and it was called Extreme Ownership. And the idea his was that just in the SEALs and in any leadership, what you do with real leadership any leadership is taking on problems that you didn't cause mm. and, and providing solutions and cleaning messes that you didn't make. Yeah. Like, uh, your buddy gets in a firefight and yeah, like you didn't do that, but like, you're gonna, you're gonna rush in and help him. Yeah, you're gonna or risk your, you're going to risk your to, life yeah. or, or even in parenting, there's all sorts of things, messes that we clean up that we didn't make. Right. Um, or even I think about when I was a, uh, an English teacher, there was all sorts of problems in the school that adults had to come in and fix that they didn't make or the kids made them, sure, <laughs> you know, sure, right. but that's what leadership is. And that's kind of what it, your, your reversal reminded me of. Jesus sees a problem that he didn't make. God didn't make this. Yeah. God didn't cause any of this. This is all humans, but like any good leader or any good parent or any good loving father, he's going to come in and he's going to clean it up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's going to take it upon himself so that we might have life. He's yeah. going to bear our infirmities. And those words, in, uh, iniquity and, and sin, those are bad words. Those are not, those are yeah. not like, those are Jewish bad words. You know, yeah. those are the bad things that humans do. And he's going to take all of them and by his wounds, we're healed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, but then, yeah, Mark, and you focused on this a lot. Uh, there's a pivot. It's really interesting that Peter Peter's, Peter's mother-in-law gets up and begins... Yeah. To serve. To, to serve. And, and that hit you particularly. Um, and So talk a little bit about that, because yeah. you also introduced us to a, an idea of a wounded healer, yeah. which is a concept that maybe folks hadn't heard before. Um, and so talk a little bit about why that resonated with you. Yeah, I just think it's a practical application. I think it, it stems from when you've been touched and healed in such a profound and deep way gratitude motivates you to step right in and to serve. And she serves Christ. Uh, and I think it's a beautiful picture. It's a model for us um, in many ways of how we are to take on the same kind of thing, care, you know, take up and, and bear others' burdens. Yeah. Um, and we do it from the place of, like you said, a wounded healer, um, places where we, we've been damaged and hurt and sin has brought its brokenness and wreckage into our lives. Uh, and from that place, we can pick up and serve others. And it has... I mean, you see throughout the New Testament over and over and over, bear up one another's burdens, take mm-hmm. on, take on. Um, and that's why it's so important that we see, because I think we miss um, people who are in the margins. And, and I, Jay, you made that comment about looking for people in crisis and mm-hmm. quest, yeah. you know. Um, 
So the idea that, you know, there's people out there that we can serve. Uh, that we can up. see, just like Jesus we saw. start with that. Yeah, we what's start the with need? That, yeah. yeah, and then take up and, and bear in the ways that we can. We can't, I can't take your cancer, right? Right. I, I can't take your broken marriage. But I think we can carry each other and the burdens that come with some of those circumstances. And it may, it's profound. It's deep. I mean, I, I, like I shared uh, just a little bit of the the end of the teaching, um, just people who did that for me in ways that <clears throat> still to this day, I, I, it gets to me that, that they helped and, and undergirded me in some of the difficult, a real difficult moment in mm-hmm. my life and how profound and deep that was and how it carried me and gave me hope and made me. So it, you were talking was, about uh, uh, when your, when your father yeah, was, yeah. he was declining pretty quickly yeah, and going into, it was dementia, uh, Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's. Yeah. And that was like super hard on you. And you had, tangible people come alongside you and cause they can't change that. They no. but they could try to carry you yeah. and encourage you. I, I just was impressed with that. I just think the idea that, um, like I mentioned, you know, uh, Frodo and, and Samwise, you know, just oh, anytime that, we can go Lord of the Lord Rings, Rings, let's go Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Bring yeah. that in. Yes. Bring that in. But you know, he said, I can't and, carry the ring, but I can carry you. Yeah. And I just think oh, there's something really good yeah. and beautiful yeah. about that. Yep. I love that line. Yeah. It's a beautiful image. It's exactly what you're saying. Can't take the cancer. Yeah. Can't take your bro- broken marriage, but I can help carry you the weight you're under. I can. But it also reminds me, it, it when you said that, it reminded me of uh, another beautiful reality, which is like in AA meetings right, or right. like Celebrate Recovery, yeah. where they say, listen, I can't, I, I can carry you, but here, I, I can't take away your pain. I can't take away what's going on, but I can carry you to the Father who can. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So there's a sense of like, Let's go to dad. Mm-hmm. Let, let, let me help. Let me remind you where true healing is. And, you know, I saw that in Christian uh, recovery programs yeah. and there's no judgment. <laughs> right. Why would there be? It's like, hey, you're hurting, but I know the one who can heal. Yeah. So it's not just I'm going to carry you. It's I'm going to carry you and we're going to go to the place where the real healing is, you know? Yeah. And that's, that's that's why I think, you know, in this story, as Mark alluded to, Peter's mother-in-law is healed, which then compels her to serve. And I think as we serve, remembering that the wounded servant, you know, like I, I was once wounded and hurting and in need. I will very likely be wounded and hurting again, and in need again yeah. at some point in life. That's just the rhythm of life. And, and, and yet I've been healed. I've experienced some form of healing at least, um, and and serving from that posture, I think, is so uh, it's meaningful. Yeah, it is, you're because you're not it. just doing it out of duty or right. out of or like good people are supposed to do this. Or yeah, I'm awesome, so right. I got to give my awesomeness to others. It's <laughs> it's oh man, I know what it's like to be in need of yeah. help and healing and wholeness. I know what that's like, and I've received it from Christ. I've received it from Christ through the help of others, you know, who've yeah. expressed the love of God to me in that way. If you think about it that way, I mean, of course, the natural reaction would be, Man, I got to give that away, mm. you know, when I see, as Jesus saw, when mm. I see those who are who are hurting. Yeah. So it's like beautiful cyclical sort of yeah. thing. It, yeah. The idea of wounded healer, when you were talking about it, it reminded me of, uh, toward the end of his life, my grandfather, um, as my grandfather was kind of, as he was dying, hmm. he had a he had these medical procedures that had to do that were really kind of painful and uncomfortable. And he had two nurses and one of them was kind of gruff and kind of, um, nah, just 
it, it just hurt more. And the other one was unbelievable. And she was like so kind. And she was like explaining what was going on. And she was super gentle. And she knew exactly how to insert the needles and all this stuff. And my mom was like so grateful for her. In fact, she kept requesting her. And we were just over the moon in awe of her, not just her bedside manner, but her nursing skill. I mean, yeah. just legitimately. And one day my mom said, yeah, listen, I, I don't mean to be mean, but the other nurses, you know, she's kind of like Nurse Ratched. You know, she's like, she's kind of mean. She's kind of, she's brusque. You know, How are you so good at this? And she's like, oh, it's easy. I had, I had to go through the exact same uh, procedures. Oh, yeah. I had, I had cancer. I had this, yeah. I had to, yep. I had to go through this. I know exactly what he's feeling. I know exactly yeah. how this hurts. I know exactly what, what, what you need to say when it hurts and, and when they need to push through and, and when they need encouragement. I know exactly. I went through it myself. And that to me will always remind me of the wounded healer. Yeah. Like I was through it. Here's what helped me. And now I'm going to give that to others. And she did. Well, and to that point, it's interesting. Even today, a staff member came up and was telling me about trying to care for his dad with Alzheimer's. And I just know some of the challenges. And all I had to do was just say, hey, tell how's it going with him right now? And so he's just telling me. And I didn't have any solutions for him. But I could tell just listening and identifying him knowing, yeah, I've, I knew that piece of it. I had that similar kind of thing. Man, it just, yeah. it just is, it, it makes you feel not alone, not isolated. Um, I think it's one of the beautiful ways that we do carry those kind of burdens for others. Yeah. You know? and, and I think it can bring, and I don't mean to minimize the pain that people are in, in the midst of suffering. Um, so not minimizing at all, but it, there's a way in which it can bring meaning uh, to your pain, yeah, meaning yeah. to your suffering. And th that's really hard to wrap your head and heart around in the moment. And I don't necessarily think anyone should. I mean, if you're hurting or in the midst of caring for an ailing parent or dealing with cancer, mm -hmm. you know, or whatever, or a broke, like a marriage that's falling apart. Like, I, I think God just sits with you in that pain. And hopefully the people of God can come around and sit with you in that pain too. But also there, there's a way in which that pain begins to have profound meaning when you realize eventually somewhere down the line, those sort of simple moments where you're like, Oh, like that nurse or like you today with the staff person, right. you're like, Oh, I can empathize. And then you realize what I went through was, was not, it was hard, but it wasn't for nothing, you know? And, uh, it, you know, reminds me of that famous Victor Frankel line that we've quoted here several times, I think, but, suffering ceases to be suffering the moment it finds meaning, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and he differentiates between suffering and hardship and struggle. And he says that the differentiator is meaning. Mm. If you can find meaning in the, and this is a, you know, those who, who have forgotten Frankel went through Auschwitz right. as a Jew yeah. in Nazi, you know, like he was in an internment camp and his, his wife, his parents, his siblings all died yeah. in, in Nazi internment camps. And he says, suffering ceases to be suffering if you can find meaning in it, you know? And uh, I, I just think it's a beautiful. So let me ask you this. Yeah. How do you think a person attaches meaning in the midst of their suffering like that? What, where do they? Gosh, yeah. I mean, I don't, that's why I said, I think when you're in the suffering, I just don't want to be insensitive. I think it's okay to not have to reckon with that in that moment in the moment yeah, i think yeah. god just sits with you in the suffering think about gethsemane 
You know, Jesus yeah. is like, I don't want to do this. Take this cup from me. I don't think you don't hear the voice of God. That's like, but son, you know what this is about. Mm. You're going to defeat death. And it's, there's, it's quiet, you know, and there's almost a sort of beautiful stillness to it. Um, so I think it's okay to sit in the, the garden of Gethsemane when you're in it for a while. It's a, it's, it's a long journey. Um, but I think even just having that reminder in the back of our minds is helpful. It's yeah. like, this isn't forever. The, the night isn't going to last forever. The, the dawn will come. And when it does, the light will expose all of this darkness and it'll reveal to me what this was for, um, what it was about. I know? wonder if you see threads of meaning. You know, I've often thought people say, well, when you get to heaven, it'll all make sense. Right. I don't know if that's necessarily true. Uh, I, I think there's so much depth in the wisdom of God that it would be unsearchable to think we can understand all the things right. of how it was meaningful. Right. I do think, like, for instance, even today, being able to share that moment with somebody and have them have a sense of somebody identifies and knows some of that creates a layer of meaning for me. Yeah. And so I kind of look back and go, oh, there was a thread of that. Right. Um, but yeah. I don't know that, yeah, you get the, oh, now, now I know why this all happened. Yeah, I, not, I not some conclusive. Kind of no, I don't yeah. think so either. Yeah. I think it's exactly what you just said. I just think it's those small moments you don't expect hmm. where your mind just sort of rushes back into its memory. And you're like, oh, my gosh, hmm. that was so hard when I went through it. But it was helpful to somebody. You know, it was helpful to somebody today. And yeah. even as I read Frankel's account of the Holocaust, what I was struck by is the men who lived, they lived because somehow they were able to love and serve the people to the left and the right, you know, yeah. and, and that provides some sort of meaning in the midst of it. And, and it's, uh, my daughter's reading all quiet on the Western front, yeah. which is a terrible book in the, in the sense, not that it's not well-written, it's just horrific. Right. Yeah, yeah. And the whole, one of the major motifs is the idea of home it gets completely destroyed for all these soldiers because now they go back home on leave and it feels alien to them. Nothing is right. But what home switches to is the men to their left and to their right, their comrades. And the final heartbreaking beats of that book are, you know, the main character carrying his best friend, his closest friend who's been wounded through the war to try to get him to a medic Mm -hmm. because that's what it is. And at the end he dies and the medic says, are you, you're not related, are you? And he says, no, we're not related. No, we're not related. And you see, they, you know, the, the author repeats the word related three, four times in a row because the whole point is they are. Yeah. They mm. are related. They, he carried them. Right. They are related. There's, there's meaning in trying to, to serve and love, even in the midst of shells dropping to your left and right. Even in the middle of that, there is a sense in which, um, you know, you, you use your life to, to serve others. So... Even the great poets are, are, are looking at Peter's mother-in-law, I think, and saying, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, there, there's a sense in which serving provides us some sort of, as long as you're alive and as long as you have legs and there's people that you love to your left and right, like try to to keep serving. You know, that's, yeah. that that's because that's what Jesus does. He's right. the servant, the towel, and the basin, and he gives his life. So yeah. really, really fascinating. Mm. Well, thank you guys for, uh, ne- we're going to, we're going to continue on through Matthew, but thank you for this third and final. And I think it says something about uh, Peter and his relationship with his mother-in-law. Come on now. You know, you there's got to be some jokes. There's got to be some jokes there. <laughs> Peter's like, do you have to? I mean, you could let her. I mean, 
I'm just saying. Yikes. No, I'm Yikes. just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, I have a very good relationship with my mother-in-law. Oh, there you go. So uh, it's good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> go there. Oh, mother-in-law jokes. Okay. Mother-in-law. Well, thank you guys for being here. Lunch? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Thank let's you. do it. All right. Gardettos. <laughs> Pizzeria flavor. That sounds delicious. Oh, no, that do they sound... have that? Yeah. I, I don't know. <laughs> so go buy some Gardettos. Thank you, Mary Sue Gardetto, and we'll see you next week. <laughs> Thank you.